Welcome to Talking Mopars episode number 86 and another installment of High Performance Heritage. This is going to be the story behind the 1968 Dodge Super B. And to be honest, there's not much behind the story. So let's go ahead and get this show on the road. Without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. All right, folks, this is where Project Car of the Week would usually be inserted, but I thought we'd do something interesting this week. My dad brought me a box of old car magazines because he knows I collect them, and he was trying to offload some, so I took them. And in that box was an old car trader, one of my favorite publications to read from back in the day. And this one is 19 years old. This came out in September 2002, the beginning of my senior year in high school. And on the cover was a very interesting Mopar. And I thought I would share it with you guys just to kind of demonstrate where we've come as far as project car prices and things like that. So on the cover of this old car trader is a 1970 Dodge Super B. And it's plum crazy purple, has the Ram Charger hood, some nice rally wheels. It's got white interior and the white Bumblebee stripe. It's got, you know, rally wheels on BFGTAs. It looks really clean. And here's the ad. 1970 Dodge Super B, matching 383, pistol grip, four speed, new white interior, detailed engine and trunk compartments, plum crazy paint, new 15 inch rally wheels, new BFGTA radials, two year old restoration, $17,500. How crazy is that? This car looks immaculate in the picture that I have here in front of me. Unfortunately, I don't have a bunch of pictures of it, just this one. But from what I see, it looks like a really clean car. And you're talking about a matching numbers 383 Super B with a pistol grip four speed. The ad says a two-year-old restoration for $17,500. You can even restore, you can even do a bad restoration for $17,500 these days. So I thought this was a crazy deal. And I was super intrigued when I saw this. And it's actually a Washington car out of the 253 area code. So this car may be still floating around the Washington area. So if you're listening to this from Washington and you've seen a plum crazy purple 70 Super B with white interior, this may be the same car. And whoever owns it now, if it's the guy who bought it from this ad, he only paid $17,500 for it. And I'm sure that car is, you know, more than doubled the money by now if, if all the work that was done was good. You know, so it's definitely interesting to see, you know, where the prices have come in 20 years. Now, I've looked at some other prices in this magazine. It's just insane what you could have got, you know, especially considering, you know, I was thinking back then and I'm like, gosh, you know, that was a lot of money back then. At least it seemed like that to me. You know, I was a high school punk, but it's just really, really interesting to look at prices, you know, from magazines and, and publications and classifieds from back in the day. That's why it's so crazy for me when I open up an old hot rod magazine and look at the hot rod mart, which was the classified section. And I see all these insane prices, you know, 2,500 for a super bird or, you know, just ridiculous prices. And it goes to show that everything appreciates in value when it comes to Mopars. At least that's what it seems like to me. I mean, tell me I'm wrong please. But from what I've seen, all these old prices, 
they always come up. So when people are talking about these project cars, and you know, this is a good point. You know, I'm looking at chargers that are complete rot boxes for 20 grand in here. On the cover of this old car trader, I'm looking at a beautiful 1970 Super B that I would have no problems taking to a show and entering into a show for 17.5. You know, so that's how crazy prices have gotten. But have prices really gotten that crazy? Or are these cars just harder to find? And, you know, it's slim pickings out there. I, I think it's a combination of the two, but. You know, that's why I say if you find a good deal nowadays, you better snatch that sucker up because, you know, it's almost actually it's not almost it is an investment. So keep that in mind when you look at these cars that you see decent deals on. You know, if you can find a 68 to 70 Charger, even a project for less than 10 grand, that's pretty solid. You know, I know there's a lot of money that needs to get put into that car to restore it, you know, or to get it back to roadworthy condition. But gosh, it's almost it's almost an investment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you may put 20 grand into it, but you know, 20 plus 10 is 30. So if you can get it on the road for 30, you know, in this market, you know, this crazy market, um, it's almost worth it folks. So that I don't want to call it project car of the week, but we're, you know what, we're just going to call it Mopar of the week, Mopar for sale of the week. <laughs> so, um, I just thought it was interesting and I thought I'd share it with you guys. So that was, that was Mopar ad of the week and, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep doing these, um, but I might do something like this in addition to Project Car of the Week. I don't know. I just thought this would be fun to talk about today. So yeah, I mean, 19 years ago, you could have gotten a, a, a restored Super B. I'm sure it's not completely correct, but it is a matching numbers car, you know, with a pistol grip four speed for 17.5. Come on. That is a great deal. But that was Mopar, Mopar for sale ad of the week, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought it was fun. Let's get into high performance parts. This week's high performance part is a van, and it is probably the craziest high performance part vehicle we've ever featured here on Talking Mopars. This thing is insane, and it's insane because of who built it. Some of you that you know, have a vast knowledge in automotive car culture, especially American car culture, will know the name of the gentleman who built this van. And that's George Barris. The George Barris, famed automotive customizer. Uh, I mean, he's up there on the Mount Rushmore of automotive customizers, okay? George Barris. And if you don't know who George Barris is, do yourself a favor and go look the man up. His work is insane. And this van that he built known as the super van is out of this world. This thing is insane. It was built on the platform of a 1966 Dodge A108 sportsman van. And the thing is absolutely bonkers. It's nuts. It, it, it's got solar panels, a crazy interior with a rotating friggin' bed. Um, it's, it's a super van on the side. It's, it's insane. It's got old school mag wheels and it, the thing is wild. It was actually in the movie Supervan, okay? It was known in that movie as the Vandora, but it is widely known as the Supervan. The thing is just insane looking. It's got these giant arches that supposedly had roll bars built into them. It's got a sloping front windshield that actually lifts up in one piece to expose the whole front of the van. So you could, to get in this thing, you could step 
in through the front if you really wanted to, but it's just insane. One of the side panels comes up and it's, it's basically, it's a fish tank. <laughs> it is crazy. And, and the rear window slopes too. So it's a very, if you cut this van in half, it's like completely symmetrical. It's the craziest looking thing. Um, it's It's got a 318 with a three-speed manual transmission. But the interior of this thing, it's got this circular bed that rotates. Uh, a sofa, that's a U-shaped sofa. It's got a color TV, a telephone, a tape recorder. It's got a crystal chandelier. And of course, you know, what custom van would be a custom van without some crazy carpeting in it, some really plush carpeting. But it was originally built as the love machine. That's what Barris originally built it as. It was burnt orange, like a pearl burnt orange, and it had a couple Dodge emblems on it. But the van was eventually converted to the Supervan to be used in the movie Supervan. You really have to look up this van to get an idea of how crazy it really looks. So I, I could sit here and try to explain to you how crazy this van is, but do yourself a favor and just look up George Barris Supervan and you will see this thing. And it wasn't only featured in the movie Supervan, but it was also in the made-for-TV movie Condor um, with a different paint job and in Back to the Future 2 as the Hill Valley Transit bus. And it was painted green and, you know, it had a couple other um, roles in TV uh, the 1990 movie Solar Crisis, where it was white, and it was in the show Sequest DSV, um, which was a 90s TV show, but um, it's just a crazy looking van, <laughs> and it's just one of those things where I saw it, and I've known about it for a while, I never really considered it for a high performance part, but I ran across it again, and I just thought it was cool. And I actually didn't even realize it was in Back to the Future 2. So I thought that was cool. And I thought that was worthy enough for a slot right here on high performance parts. It was restored in 2003 and brought back to its original Supervan appearance. And it's one of those vehicles where if you ever saw this thing driving down the road, you'd go, what in the hell is that? <laughs> it was auctioned at, I believe, Barrett-Jackson for $62,700 in February of 2016. That was this week's high performance part, the 1966 Dodge A108 Supervan built by the world famous George Barris. All right, my friends, it's time once again for listener stories. I have a bunch stacked up right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to do another listener stories episode. That'll probably come out Friday or Saturday. We'll try to get caught up on those. I am excited to announce that I have increased the storage capabilities on my podcast host. So more episodes will be able to be recorded and released to you guys, largely in part thanks to the supporters that I have on Facebook. So shout out to all my supporters on Facebook the contributions that you make to this show help me improve it. And that's exactly what I just did. So now I have more hosting space so that I can release more episodes and not be limited to a certain amount of data that I store on my podcast host. I know that's 
you know, that's, that's more than you guys need to know, but just know that more episodes are on the way. I would love to do more than four episodes a month. And now I also have enough space to get caught up on the bonus episodes for my supporters. So those of you that support me through Facebook, thank you so much. I promise I will get caught up on all your bonus episodes. I owe you like four, five, uh, we'll say six. I owe you six episodes and they are on the way, I promise. So be looking forward to that. But for right now, we're going to get caught up on some of these voicemails that I have because they've been stacking up. And I've talked to a couple of these guys since they left voice messages. So I feel like it's only it's only right for me to play these messages. And I will read the messages that I have stacked up on the next episode, the upcoming episode of Listener Stories. So let's go ahead and get into these Listener Stories Our first message is from Mike. Here is Mike's message. Hey, Chris, this is Mike from Mike's Mopar Garage YouTube. I called the other day to uh, relay the message of that uh, that Alpine White Superbird that I just missed, been able to buy back in the 80s. And what a heartbreak and uh, heartache that was. Um, I wanted to call back and give you the continuation of the story because, unfortunately, the heartbreak did not end with that story. So as I was saying, I had about $3,000 and I was looking for a car. So a few weeks later, I ended up finding the car I was actually really looking for, and that was a 69 Roadrunner. Uh, as a kid growing up, our family car was a 69 Roadrunner my dad bought brand new. And that's what I grew up in, a backseat of a Roadrunner, and that's what I always wanted as an adult. So I ended up finding one and buying it and getting it home, and boy, I was super proud of that car. And I started working on it to get it fixed up and uh, buying parts and so forth like that. So after a few months went by, um, I decided to get out of the Air Force. I I was stationed in Illinois, and I wanted to move down to Florida uh, with some family and stuff. So I got out of the Air Force. So in doing that, I was going to have to move everything. So I actually bought an old pickup truck, and I rented a U-Haul trailer, and I'm going to tow that car down to Florida. So my wife was in daughter was in the other car me and the dog were in the truck and we're moving to florida it looked like the beverly hillbillies that truck was so loaded down um literally the day that i was getting out everything was loaded and we're leaving and we're driving out of the gate of the base that i was stationed on the very last intersection on the base a lady ran the stop sign and in a old school ford bronco she t-boned the car and hit the trailer and totaled the trailer and the car out in one hit. Actually, you made it such a U-shape of that car that it tore the quarter panel spot wells on the other side. She T-boned the driver's side door right on the rocker. Totaled the car out in one hit. So here it is. Uh, now the dream car that I had that I finally was able to get um, was totaled. So after a few days of getting everything squared away, um, I got another trailer, and I decided to go ahead and tow the car back to Florida anyways. Um, and after settling with insurance company, I was only able to get approximately $1,000 for that car. Um, so, uh, you know, lesson of the moral of the story is always get good insurance. But anyways, I got the thousand bucks and got to keep the car. And, um, the, the rear end of that car, the sure grip, uh, unit for that car lives on. It's in my 68 charger right now. So it, the memory lives on, but make sure you keep good insurance and, uh, Watch out for Broncos. That's all I can say. So thanks again. Mike Smoker Garage YouTube. Thanks a lot, Chris. Have a good day. Wow. What a crazy story. 
I hate hearing stories like that with tragic endings. You know, uh, I guess, I suppose at least it's good, Mike, that you got something out of the car. You know, gosh, I, I don't know what I would do in that situation, man. That's heartbreaking. Um, as far as insurance goes, I do have plenty of insurance on the Mr. Norm Tribute truck. That's one thing I thought, especially with the amount of money I paid for it. I was like, I have to insure it for just as much, if not more than what I bought it for. And that's exactly what I did. I go through a classic car insurance company. It's really well known since they don't sponsor this show. I'm not going to mention their name, but you can do some shopping around. And the insurance company I use allowed me to put a value on my truck. And that's what I did. They agreed to it. So it's agreed upon value. And now if anything happens to my truck, at least I'll be reimbursed. I'll never be able to replace it, but at least I'll have the cash that I bought it with. So I, I hope I, you know, knock on wood that nothing like that ever happens to me, but it is a good message for all of you guys out there that are underinsured. Do not be underinsured with your classic car, you know, or any car for that matter. But, um, Mike, uh, it's, man, I really hate hearing those types of stories, but, uh, thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, anybody in the military gets the utmost respect for me. So thank you for that. And going back to your story, man, gosh, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, you know, stupid people, man. <laughs> I hate hearing tragic stories like that when it involves a Mopar and, you know, they're so hard to replace and, you know, thousand dollars. Gosh, that, <laughs> I guess the good thing is that the eight and three quarter lives on in your charger, which is cool. But uh, still, man, what a, what a rough story. Thank you for sharing it with me. Mike's Mopar Garage on YouTube. Everybody go subscribe to that channel right now. Thank you, Mike, for sending in your story, even though it was a tragic one. This next message comes to us from my friend Curtis Mundy. Curtis has actually been on Direct Connections, one of the big episodes where we had a bunch of people come on, and he told us the story. But for those of you that missed out on that episode, here is a little bit of Curtis's story about his 68 Dodge Dart. Take her away, Curtis. Hey, Chris. Curtis over here uh, on the other side of the state. Talked to you a few times on Facebook and Instagram. Just wanted to say congrats on the van and the Mr. Norm truck. That thing is sweet, man. I I would love to have some, something as nice as that. Um, playing a little Mopar hunting store I'm doing this weekend. Uh, I 68 Dart. Survivor car, that's a whole story in itself. A little long, too long for a voicemail. Uh, guy had a 340 sitting there for it that I couldn't afford at the time. Two weeks ago, he texted me saying, hey, I got this motor. Uh, I'll give you a screaming deal on it. And it, trust me, it's an amazing deal. 71 340, uh, X heads, runner. Um, let's just say under a thousand bucks. So heading down this weekend to go get it about a four-hour drive but figure it's well worth it so anyways talk to you later man bye hey curtis thanks for sending in your story and thanks for telling us all about it on that episode of direct connections that you were on um curtis scored on that 71 340 man gosh with x heads Geez, you can't even pick up, I mean, at least that I've seen, you can't pick up X heads for as much as he got that entire 344. Um, those 340s are expensive, at least the ones that I've seen. So he scored on that for his dart. That's awesome. It's always cool to say you got a 340 because they're really hard to find, you know, um, 
takeout 340s you just don't see too often at least i don't and usually when i do you know i've seen blocks go for a thousand dollars it's insane and that's not even a ta block if you got a ta block holy crap dude um i've seen a couple like in the five thousand dollar range it's insane so you know the the tas and the aar cudas if, if you get a block from one of those or even a full engine, be prepared to reach deep in those pockets. But Curtis scored on that 340 that he got, so I'm excited to see his project come together. He got a really clean 68 Dodge Dart. You know, when you consider what's out there on the market, uh, he scored on that thing. So that's cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing his project progress. So Curtis, keep us updated on that. And we need to get you back on Direct Connections, buddy. So when you get a chance... Come join us on one of those lives, all right? Thanks for sending in your story, bud. That was Listener Stories. I have a few more voicemails left, but we'll save those for the Listener Stories episode coming up. And if you have a story that you want to share on the show, you can do so by leaving a voicemail on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR, and I will play your story on the show. Just remember that the messages are limited to three minutes, so if your story goes over that, that's perfectly okay. Just call back and pick up where you left off, and I'll splice the messages together so we can hear your story on the show. And like I said earlier, I have a bunch of stories stacked up. So for those of you who are like, hey, Chris, what's going on, man? You haven't shared my story yet. Don't worry, folks. I know I'm backed up again. It always happens. I just got carried away doing these live streams, and I've been neglecting the regular episodes of this show. I know that, and I can't wait. I'd love to do more high-performance heritage episodes, and all sorts of fun stuff like that, in addition to the live streams that I love doing so much. So we're going to get into all that stuff. It's going to be a ton of fun, and of course, something to look forward to from Talking Mopars. But now it's time to get into the short story of the Super B and how it came to be. So let's talk a little bit about the Dodge Super B. With the success of the 1968 Plymouth Roadrunner, Dodge felt that they could create the same magic with a budget-based muscle car of their own, and that's what they did in 1968 with the Super B. Using the existing Coronet two-door coupe, they created the Super B with the green light from the general manager of the Dodge division, Robert McCurry. The idea was the same as Plymouth with the Roadrunner, a budget-friendly muscle car aimed at the youth enthusiast market. The name Super B was based on the fact that the car was built on the B-body platform, and the man who can take credit for creating the name was Harvey Wynn, who was a senior designer in the styling office of Dodge. There was a sort of contest held within the styling office that Harvey won with the name Super B, as well as the Super B's famous B logo. We can pretty much assume that Harvey used the marketing program of Dodge's Scat Pack to come up with the idea, and if you ask me, it was 100% genius to do so. I love the Super B. I love... The fact that Chrysler had these cartoonish, fun mascots. I, I've always thought that that was awesome. And that's why I'm a huge fan of Chrysler's marketing programs. I don't know about you, but the Scat Pack B is probably my favorite original character in automotive history. And one of the many reasons why I'm such a big fan of the old school ads that you see in old car magazines because Chrysler's marketing programs were fun and awesome during the muscle car era. When compared to its Plymouth counterpart, the Super B was not only a little heavier, but it was a bit longer as well, even though the differences were only slight with an extra 65 pounds in weight and one inch in wheelbase length. 
The Super B also benefited from larger rear wheel openings to accommodate a bigger tire for us day two folks. Although I really can't say that that was done on purpose for the B since it was already based on the already existing Coronet. The Super B did have some cool things that the Roadrunner lacked, such as its own die-cast emblem and the Bumblebee stripe attributed only to vehicles in the Dodge Scat Pack. Another awesome feature that I think was an improvement over the Roadrunner was the fact that Dodge used the gauge cluster from the Dodge Charger instead of the standard gauges with the sweeping speedometer found on Plymouth's B-bodies and Dodge's base model Coronets. Plymouth would eventually get that gauge upgrade in 1970, so eventually they did get with the program of how much cooler those gauges were. Another notable difference and improvement over the Roadrunner was the Hurst Competition Plus shifter and shift linkage with the 4-speed versus the Roadrunner's inland shifter and linkage. It was clear that Dodge had a vision to improve upon Plymouth's original idea with the Roadrunner with some cooler features that would end up leading to the Super B to come at a higher cost than the Roadrunner, which did actually have a negative impact on the sales of the Super B, causing it to fall short of the amazing sales figures that Plymouth was producing with the more budget-friendly Roadrunner. Like the Roadrunner, the Super B's standard power plant was a big block 383, but if you wanted to reach into your pockets a little deeper, you could have yourself an elephant under the hood, with the 425 horsepower 426 Hemi being the only other engine option available. The 33% increase in cost over the standard 383 proved to be a deal breaker for most since only 125 Hemi Super Bs were even produced in 1968. In 1969, the B would undergo some changes including the optional hardtop version and the fancy fresh air induction system when you had the N96 option with the twin scoops feeding air into the intake known as the Ram Charger for Dodge models and air grabber for Plymouths. Mid-year 1969 would also introduce one of the baddest factory quarter-mile cars in the A12 M-Code Super B. You can learn about both the A12 Super B and the A12 Roadrunner way back on episode 7. I did a whole episode about the A12 cars. What I will tell you is that the A12 package on a Super B or Roadrunner meant that you were getting the first ever 390 horsepower 440 big block with a six-pack or six-barrel engine if you were in a Plymouth, and the only engine in that model year for any Chrysler product that had the three two-barrel carburetor setup. The A12 cars also had a full pin-on fiberglass hood with a giant air-sucking scoop. So for more information on the A12 cars, refer back to episode 7, but know this. If your VIN number had an M for its fifth digit and the A12 code on the fender tag, then you had a legitimate factory street race car. In 1970, the Super B would receive a facelift with a complete redesign. Some people loved the split grille design of the Coronets and Super Bs of 1970, and others hate it. I actually love it, but the 69 will always be my personal favorite. The split grille was even referred to as Bumblebee Wings by Dodge's public relations team. Unfortunately, with rising insurance rates, the beginning of the 70s would begin a downward spiral for muscle cars in general, but Chrysler would try to keep the horsepower high and its muscle cars alive for at least a couple more years. With the redesign came new features and options like my personal favorite, the Hearst Pistol Grip Shifter, the high back bucket seats, a newly designed reversed C-stripe graphic, and an ignition mounted on the steering column. Sadly, the new design would only last a single year before the Coronet was redesigned again and no longer offered in a two-door, but only in a sedan and station wagon. This left Dodge with no other option but to use their newly redesigned Charger as the new platform for their beloved Super B. So 1971 would introduce the Charger Super B. Much like the Coronet platform, the Super B would also be lower in the Charger trim package hierarchy. 1971 would also be the first year, and only year for that matter, that there would be a small block option in the 344 barrel. 
It would be 36 years before Mopar enthusiasts would see the Super V again, and once again it was a trim package available on the Charger platform in 2007. It would last until 2009, but return again in 2012, on through its final year of production as a package in 2014. Throughout its lifespan, the Super B was always touted as a budget muscle car, and remains an icon in the world of Mopar to this day. Folks, it feels so good to be back in the saddle covering Mopar's high-performance heritage. I'm going to keep doing episodes like this, along with lives, along with catching up with listener stories, and along with bonus episodes for my supporters on Facebook. I'm just, I'm pumped once again. You know, I've been dealing with some issues with the Mr. Norm truck, man. I almost burned it to the ground this weekend. I was uh, heading to a work function with one of my coworkers, and... I had got the truck running, did all the rewiring on it. Gosh, I don't even know if I told you guys about that. Maybe you heard about it on the live, but uh, I've been having some wiring issues with the Mr. Norm truck. I thought I had all those figured out. I put in a new stereo and on my way to this work function with my coworker, we started smelling some electrical burning, right? And I'm like, what is that? And then immediately I look at my gauge cluster because I just replaced it. I put a fully restored gauge cluster in the truck with 150 mile an hour speedometer and it's uh the ammeter is fireproofed so i wasn't even worried about that i was just like oh gosh maybe one of my wires is bad or shorting out or something and you know <laughs> causing a meltdown well when i looked i saw a bunch of smoke billowing out from behind my stereo so i'm panicking going oh my god I don't have water, I don't have a fire extinguisher, but I do have an emergency toolkit that I put together for this trip just in case. So I pull over and I frantically get my screwdriver and start unscrewing the trim bezel for the gauges so I can get to the deck. And the thing is still smoking, it's only getting worse. It was legitimately on fire. So I get the gauge cluster bezel off and I pull the deck out and it is so hot, still smoking, burnt up, but none of the wires behind the deck or within the dash were melted or burned or anything like that, or even hot. So I get home, I tear open the deck, and it's all internal. I can't figure out what happened with the wiring. I don't know, maybe it was just a fluke, but I have a new deck on the way, and hopefully that doesn't happen again. I'm going to rewire the stereo just to be sure, but you know, close call. So lesson learned, I better keep a fire extinguisher in the truck just in case. That's just a little update on the Mr. Norm truck. The van is kind of at a standstill. I need to get it running. So I got myself a few parts for it. I've got a new fan clutch. I've got a new alternator for it and a few other little things, some bracketry that I needed to get the alternator on and all sorts of fun stuff. So the van's coming along. You know, a little slower than I'd like, but we're going to start cracking away at that. But uh, I'm glad that, you know, the Mr. Norm truck is now tuned. I adjusted the timing. I adjusted the idle and I hooked up a vacuum gauge to it to get it running as optimal as I could. And that's where I'm at right now. So get the new deck in it and hopefully everything will be good. And then I can get underneath it because the truck needs some suspension work. So that's what's on the that's what's on deck for me. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to get back into the swing of things here. And like I said, continue the lives. But um, I, I, you know, I love live streaming. It is so much fun. And it's really fun for me because I have my friends joining me. And I love talking to people about Mopars, whether they're my friends or not. You know, so we've had a couple really good live streams and actually more than a handful now. Gosh, um, if you haven't seen any of them, go to the Talking Mopars podcast Facebook page and check out some of the live streams. They're pretty fun. They help they help kill time. You know, some of them are three, four hours long. It's insane, but um, they're all good. I love them all and I'm going to keep doing them. So there you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage is in the books. For everything you need to know about this podcast, please visit TalkingMopars.com. Also, for all your questions, comments, concerns, complaints, suggestions, Mopar stories, and everything else on your Mopar Addicted Mind, you can email me. The address is Chris at TalkingMopars.com, or you can leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR to hear your message on the show. I love telling your stories. Keep them coming in. I've got a lot of catching up to do again, but that's okay. It'll be a fun listener stories episode later this week. And we're going to keep these high performance heritage episodes coming. We're going to keep the live streams coming. We're going to keep all the Mopar awesomeness coming your way. So stay tuned. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.